Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to another Disney at Play podcast. Has Disney increased capacity at Walt Disney World? Well, the answer is yes, but probably far less than you think. And there are many factors involved in that answer. In this podcast and post, we go into great detail to explore the challenges Disney is facing. Join us as we consider factors that are playing against Disney's ability to increase capacity. We look at Disney's Hollywood Studios in depth to understand what those challenges look like, from retail to food and beverage, from entertainment to character meet and greets, from attractions to shows. We look at what Disney is doing and what challenges it faces, increasing capacity and thus attendance. Make sure if you have a chance to check out our notes page because it will outline many of the things we talk about and illustrate many of those things in the photos that we provide along with this podcast. Let's go some, through some key points as it relates to this entire issue. And then we're going to spend some time really deep diving into Disney's Hollywood Studios as a case study of what this looks like. First of all, attendance at the parks and capacity at the parks are two different things. Disney can set a limit on its capacity. That means that attendance will not go above that, but it doesn't mean that the attendance will necessarily approach it. In the first few weeks of park opening, this was especially the case. You could see that uh, as you walk through the parks, in fact, I remember my very first podcast, which was at the Magic Kingdom, you know, my whole thesis was, boy, you could practically go on everything. I knew at that time that wasn't going to last forever. Um, but I did see that the attendance was way more diminished than what it needed to be. I remember walking through Epcot towards the end of the day and thinking, wow, I mean, there's just nobody here. They really could increase capacity. As I looked into it further, I studied it further, they did have a greater capacity, but they had allocated that capacity for um, folks staying on property and folks buying a ticket to come into the park. They wanted to increase attendance from those two, those two um, fields. Part, pass holder attendance was limited and seemed to reach capacity very quickly. That has all changed since then. Now fast forward to what is what mid-August, mid-September, mid-October, and you can see that the um, the, the annual pass on the weekends, annual pass holders may be a little restricted in some parks or even occasionally on all parks, but by and large, most of the time you can get into the parks. Does that mean they've increased capacity? Well, yes, as it relates to pass holders, but it probably means that they've recognized that there just are not that many people staying on property or coming from surrounding, surrounding areas to purchase a ticket and enter the park, which is their preference. And when those two things don't happen, they decrease on the, on the amount of money they make. I mean, no question, every time I go in, I buy something, a meal or whatever, but that is not, uh, that's not enough. Now, people think Disney has increased capacity because they see longer lines. Well, the queue lengths match or even at times are longer than before COVID, supposedly. Well, actually, those longer queue lengths are due to several major factors. The first of these is COVID restrictions, which, as we're going to show through some examples, many, if not most of the attractions have been restricted as as far down as 30 or 40% of the capacity of that attraction. So Slinky Dog Dash, Big Thunder Railroad, the Hall of Presidents, the Enchanted Tiki Room, these shows and rides have decreased in, in, in their capacity. Not all things have. Dumbo the Flying Elephants, that's not 
uh, a situation where that's happening. But other places, it definitely has because of social distancing involved. Disney has not been able to add more capacity to those attractions and frankly will not be able to until a vaccine or some major change in terms of being able to cure people from COVID. Until there's a big change on the pandemic side, that's really not going to change. And that is factoring more on capacity than just about any other thing. But there are other things and we should talk about them. One is ride and show performance challenges. Part of that is due to the fact that they have decreased and in fact laid off maintenance workers. I don't think that that has necessarily become a safety issue, although there was a precedent for this happening. If anybody can go back to the um, Big Thunder Railroad uh, accident at Disneyland back during the Paul Pressler area, you know that they had pulled back on maintenance. I'm not saying there's a safety issue here. I think they're smarter than that. But I do think that there are less ride vehicles in situations or circumstances or that attractions go down. If nothing else, one of the big challenges is that Disney is facing, uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios is facing uh, new attractions. Rise of the Resistance, that's been, that's been talked about on social media about how often it's been going down. In fact, the last time I was on it, I actually saw it go down three times during the day, twice when I was on it. So I can appreciate this, that when people are not able to board that attraction, then when they are, that queue increases. So that's one of the things that's increasing. So COVID, performance, show, uh, show and performance, uh, challenges. Um, in the f beginning, there is no fast pass. Okay, we all know there is no fast pass at this time, but that doesn't mean the fast pass line isn't used. In the beginning, it wasn't by barely anyone during the first few weeks, but since then, there are many more that are using the fast pass line to bypass the standard queue. In particular, um, those guests with disabilities who may have gotten a lot more courage about coming, even though it's during a pandemic. Club 33 members are given a sort of fast pass, so they have the exception on the fast pass, but also Disney VIP tours. One of the things I notice a lot, and one of the challenges to Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, is that there are a lot of people who are on VIP tours or who have some kind of special exception um, Golden Oak folks may also fit into this category and they're going to a fast pass directly and that is slowing down that large line in front of Mickey and Minnie's which is taking up a big part of the front plaza area. area. Another thing that affects it is weather. Lightning strikes when this is the year time of year those lightning strikes reduces hourly capacity, increases queue lengths at other times during the day. That's especially true on something like Slinky Dog Dash. Um, you could be in line for 30, 40 minutes and all of a sudden lightning comes, the whole thing's out, and you know then you only go back to the lineup later and now the line's longer. Um, operating hours is a big issue here. Disney is not operating on the kind of hours it used to. And so when you have a compressed number of hours in a day, then that too is affecting the capacity of your ability to put on, put so many people through something like Rise of the Resistance in a full day. Um, and then also because there are more people, they have allowed some more people to come including particularly cast members, although that's not true with Disney's Hollywood Studios. They still have um, uh, barred them from attending that particular park. But in the case of the other parks, cast members have, been, have had periods where they have been free to attend, and that increases attendance as well. But you can see that a lot of factors are increasing the length of the queue. And it's not necessarily because they've increased the number of guests attending. Now, Disney can increase capacity under certain conditions. 
Um, but those conditions involve being able to afford it, meet their bottom line costs, and or guarding against COVID. Well, Disney's still severely limited by issues around COVID that prevent greater capacity. That is like having your right hand uh, tied behind your back. Disney increases capacity or could increase capacity by adding additional attractions, entertainment, shops, food and beverage options, character meet and greets, if they could, but add, given the COVID situation. But adding capacity increases Disney's costs. And it's the one thing Disney has kind of committed to is they're, they're saying, look, there's no sense opening this thing up if we can't at least cover our costs right now. And so by going off and just saying, let's open up everything sounds really wonderful and magical, but if they're bleeding more money off the, the back end, that's not a good thing. Uh, more people are attending, filling Disney's capacity, but that doesn't mean Disney has necessarily increased um, uh, the bottom, improving the bottom line as well. So uh, our, um, Disney is still struggling with more people staying on property and purchasing tickets as well as annual passes, which actually just in the last few days, they've actually opened up to allowing guests to begin purchasing annual passes. But without the incremental revenue, it's really hard for Disney to increase capacity. Um, so while the line may look longer, Disney hotels are still far below occupancy levels they once were. Many of the Disney hotels are closed and will be for some time. If it's bad on property, I can assure you it is worse on International Drive and on 192 and anywhere else in this Central Florida area. And annual pass holders are only doing so much. They can be seen, that can be seen in the parking lot which is filled largely by annual pass holders and by those coming from off property. Given all of this that we said, let's, let's just drill down and look at the capacity restraints Disney is under as we step through Disney's Hollywood Studios. Now, we're not going to go through this like land by land. We're going to go through this by, um, by offering product offering, but we're going to begin with the general capacity. The last couple of days I've been visiting Disney's Hollywood Studios. I have spent time walking throughout all of the parks. I have purchased food. I have been in the stores. I have gone on attractions to see what their real length is. We'll talk about that a little later. But when I arrive, I notice that there has been about 14 rows of general parking that were taken up for both days plus a few small, smaller rows for those parking in handicapped areas and those paying the premium parking um, option. And um, much of that incoming, and much of the incoming traffic after noon, I mean after 12 o'clock in the afternoon, actually comes in and fills in the gaps left by those who had filled those rows. In other words, I think what that means is a lot of guests are probably leaving because they haven't gotten rise boarding pass or maybe they haven't done the ride and they want to leave now, which is a case with annual pass holders. They just wanted to actually do that ride and then leave and or they feel they've kind of done it all in the morning hours that they were there. They got there early. Um, remember that I have done an earlier post and podcast on how to best enjoy Disney's Hollywood Studios. And even though it doesn't open until 10 a.m. in the morning, which is the latest it has ever opened, they're still doing the soft opening around the nine o'clock hour. And if you show up in time for that, or even a little before that, you can get a whole lot of your problems out of the way before all the rest of the guests come in. So that's a big thing. Um, I mentioned the parking lots, but a similar situation is Kind of felt in the bus lots too. The Disney buses have a very, very restricted capacity, allowing at best a small percentage compared to 
motor coaches, which were just jammed with standing room only. Remember that? Staying at the hotel and barely finding a bar to hold on as you were coming to and from. That's gone. Buses are still coming and going, but they have a much smaller group of people in them. Then you have resorts that aren't um, uh, running buses. Um, you know, like I, like the all-star resorts, they're not bringing in buses. Added to the same dilemma for off-property hotels. So there's an actual lane, uh, the last lane usually, and it's dedicated for Marriott bringing people over or for Peabody, well, not Peabody anymore, Hyatt bringing people over or um, different areas bringing guests over and those buses, there are f much fewer of them. And again, the occupancy on those buses is reduced. And by the way, the Skyliner. Skyliner only allows one party per cab. Again, it's a reduced capacity. Remember in the early days before this happened, you probably were seating with somebody. Not anymore. To add insult to injury, there are no more mini minivans. So the numbers arriving at the park are simply much lower all around. There are a lot of people that simply are not coming. And I, I show this picture in um, on the notes page of the parking lot, and I'll show you what section was taken up. And if you take a look at that, you really see that um, there was really about a third at best of the parking lot filled. And that's only because, uh, and, and, and that's in, given the fact that the, the handicap lanes and the premium parking lanes are actually much smaller lanes than the others. So we're counting them, but honestly, it barely reaches to a third of the total parking lot. Um, another interesting thing, though, I will also say is that while there is very little traffic parked in the parking lot of guests, Two-thirds, easily, maybe even three-fourths of the cast member parking is full. In fact, it's kind of surprising because when you look at that, you you kind of like, well, there are more people, cast members parked here than there are guests parked here. Mind you, a cast member usually comes in just by themselves. A guest usually has a party with them. Also, there are people coming on the Skyliner and the buses and other means. But it's the, the real the real parking filled up is is uh, is really the cast member parking, which I have to say, and just as an aside to this, even though, and we're going to be talking about layoffs in the days to come, but um, in in greater detail, we we were the first podcast to really announce that the these layoffs were occurring. But I want to go into greater detail around that, and I'm preparing for that. But um, when you're in the park. I don't see this um, absence of cast members. I don't turn the corner and see nobody mending the ship, which I had seen before pre-COVID. They still have a lot of cast members on hand. They're trying to work everybody they can, I think. Um, I have another photo on the notes page. Um, sure, Hollywood Boulevard can look busy as 10 a.m. approaches, but this image shows 2 p.m. It's a pretty empty street. So while it feels at times like there are a lot of people in the park, no, actually, um, uh, large sections of the park can be fairly empty at any given time. I want to talk about retail um, and what that challenge is. I know you don't think about capacity and retail, but people shopping, filling up stores, that takes a chunk not as big as attractions, not even as big as food and beverage, but takes a chunk of people um, off the streets, out of lines, and so forth. One of the good news this week is Keystone Clothiers has reopened. Now, all retail has completely reopened on Hollywood Boulevard. If you remember, that store was completely redone last year, and it was kind of outfitted with Star Wars merchandise. Uh, has a beautiful art deco kind of look. Um, however, that said, only now uh, half the store 
of Keystone Clothiers is actually dedicated to Marvel merchandise. Um, but that's said and done, by the way, just a little hint. If you're looking to do Star Wars shopping, this is the better place to do it. The market at um, in uh, Galaxy's Edge often has a queue because it's very limited the number of people they can put through those retail spaces there. Um, in fact, um, part of it's closed, as we're going to talk about in a minute. But at any rate, um, this is the better place to actually do that shopping for Star Wars stuff. Um, bad news is, is if you turn off of Hollywood Boulevard and go into Sunset Boulevard, you see that the Beverly Sunset Boutique is still not open. Um, that store had been redone. They took out all the candy and the candy apples and the fudge and slushies, and they put in all Pixar-related uh, merchandise. All of that is closed right now. Um, Another photo I show shows merchandise at Tatooine Traders, but if you look to the left, you will see a cast member. One of the challenges at that store, which is at the exit of Star Tours, is that they have to address not only guests coming into the store from outside, but all of those guests coming off of Star Tours. And remember, they're trying to keep that number down, keep that social distancing there. So they've got a real, and they've part cordoned off um, the part where you make your own little toy lightsaber um, so that guests aren't handling the merchandise. So even that portion is... So it's there's not a lot of people being afford. In fact, I kind of wonder if they're even... Um, if they even require not using all six Star Wars... Star Tours bays... Um, simulator vehicles because if they were running all six they'd be having a massive number of people through that store at a time where you're trying to keep social distance but you see these are the kinds of issues that disney is dealing with by the way um there are many retail experiences not currently available um in the parks right now um going back to galaxy star wars galaxy's edge one cat Saka's kettle which had the unique popcorn was actually a, a retail environment not an F&B environment like you line up for your popcorn elsewhere as a result and because of the limited um, number of people particularly cast members they can put back there and the, trying to keep that social distance it's been closed and even more disappointing is because they don't necessarily work with food and beverage um, vice versa, they could be um, they could be selling that in a in a shop just in a bag, like they sell other forms of popcorn. So it's a disappointing thing, but that's one of the stores. Uh, retail environments not open. It's a wonderful shop, which is their Christmas store, beautiful, but in a corner of the of the um, place, uh, it's not open. Stage one company store toward the exit of Muppets, it's not open. Beverly Sunset Boutique, I mentioned. Star Wars Launch Bay's Exit Store, that's not open. The Disney Studio Store, adjacent to it, in character, adjacent to that. You can see there are a number of retail, some smaller, most smaller, but hey, we got the same problem with food and beverage. So I have this image of um, two large kiosks, one called Market and one that sells Joffrey's uh, coffee. Joffrey's is open, but the Market isn't. This is typical of what you're seeing in the food and beverage thing. By the way, behind it is Municiburg, which is the Incredibles um, area that they kind of created. And that's none of that is open right now. Then you go to Sunset Boulevard. And there on Sunset Boulevard you'll see that one restaurant is open and the other is not. You have Rosie's All-American Cafe. It's the one that does burgers and chicken nuggets. But next door is Catalina Eddie's, which does the pizza and Caesar salad. It's not open uh, next door. Walk a few feet away. And just a week or two ago, um, Hollywood Scoops opened um, with their ice cream. But next door, Fairfax Fair, which kind of had a Tex-Mex kind of uh, approach, it's not open 
um, either. In fact, if we go through it, Oscar's refreshment stand at the very, very front of the park on the right side is not open. Dockside Diner with the boat is not open. Tune-in Lounge uh, next to Primetime Cafe, not open. Oasis Canteen with the um, fried yummy stuff. I can't remember what it is. Um, that's not open. Neighborhood Bakery is not open, which is the thing that was in Incredibles um, Municipal, um, which had an amazing um, couple of, it had the Num Nums chocolate chip cookie, and then it had a key lime pie um, on a stick. It was amazing. At any rate, Woody's Lunchbox, which had some clever things, not open. A lot of these, by the way, are not open because they just don't feel like there's enough room for cast members to move around in their kitchen area and provide uh, meals. And they don't want to put, you know, they've got to be mindful of the social distance with the cast members. Fairfax Fair, I just mentioned KRNR, the rock station that says hot dogs near rock and roller coaster. And then the ABC commissary actually just announced it's opening, I believe, on the 8th of this month with a new menu that's kind of like rice bowls and some other things. At any rate, um, that was good news because that was an indoor dining location that I wish they had opened from the beginning and hadn't, but it is opening. But there's still other challenges. For instance, uh, well, uh, Backlot Express, it was closing way early at 4 p.m. So they've now extended that time frame till 5 p.m. The bad news is, when you get to Backlot Express, that's across from Star Tours. The bad news is, is that when you put in your order, put it in way in advance. Don't get to the restaurant, and put it in because you'll wait outside for your order. And and so I have a picture of this of the counter area. And you think when we talk about capacity, you think about lunchtime at a counter service area where you've got one, two, three, four, five, six registers people on both sides it's backed up 10 people back people lined up between the register and where they pick up their food i mean that is they've got easily over 100 people lined up in this space during peak seasons right now nobody because until you actually get signal that your meal is ready you don't come into that space so good for social distancing but lousy for again the challenges that disney has and dealing with capacity. Also, even though they've extended the hours, which was good, they should have over, because that is a place in the front, they went ahead and reduced the hours. Pizza Rizzo, which was open till six, now closing at five, that's reasonable. The really bad choice was Ronto Roasters now closes at 3 p.m. and what a weird thing that is to go into that area, we still got several hours left of the day. And they kind of cordon that off that you can't even go sit on the tables and chairs, which they, you need a break area. Just not really smart thinking. I will say, though, um, my opinion on Ronto Roasters is get the breakfast sandwich with the eggs. I just think it's so much better than the regular Ronto Roaster. And that does open at 930. So that is the good news. Another thing they have been doing, which has been great for increasing um, interest in food and beverage, is that they chose this year for Halloween to offer Halloween-type offerings throughout all of the parks. I show a picture of the poison apple treat at Trolley Car Cafe, the Starbucks location. And that has green apple mousse, caramel mousse, a chocolate nest of what seems to be granola all combined, and a red mirror glaze. I'm telling you, it is amazing this thing looks like an apple. Unfortunately, the, the green apple mousse, I didn't get the tang. I thought I'd get some kind of tart kind of to go with the rest of it being sweet. And the granola was just kind of... Um, uh, you know, when you kind of left, leave your cereal in... Well, you, this is a problem in Florida. If you, if you don't contain your cereal, it just becomes mushy after a few days. Anyway, those are some of the issues. But you could see that there is a, there is a reduction in capacity. On, and by the way, we haven't even gotten to talking about the sit-down restaurants, the formal sit-down restaurants, which 
also deal with capacity issues because they can't see as many people in a day or and they're not open as long during the day. Now, here's something that a lot of people haven't talked about, meet and greets. Do you realize how many meet and greets are at just Disney's Hollywood Studios? You have the Edna Mode experience. Um, you have Mickey and Minnie starring in Red Carpet Dreams. You have Olaf at Celebrity Spotlight. In the front of the park at Sid Cuenca's, you had Chip and Dale, previously Donald and Daisy. You have Woody, Buzz, and Jesse at Toy Story Land. Forgot to mention uh, the Green Army Men, also, which is more of uh, entertainment, um, but it too is in Toy Story Land. You had Chewie and Darth Vader doing uh, meet and greets at Star Wars Launch Bay. You also had BB-8 doing something. I'm not sure why couldn't BB-8 couldn't be wandering around um, Galaxy's Edge. Junior Disney Junior meet and greets, and there are four of those. And Mike and Sally at Walt Disney Presents. That's five, six, seven, eight, uh, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. That's sixteen different meet and greet experiences, not including the Green Army Men. If each one of them handled 100 guests during an hour, that's 1,600 people that Disney you know, doesn't have the capacity to take care of. So again, you could start seeing how all of this starts chipping away. Um, entertainment. Uh, I did mention the Green Army Men, but hey, the citizens of Hollywood, all of those are missing. You know how the crowds will gather around when they're doing their thing. Hollywood or Sunset Boulevard or out by Echo Lake. Um, Jedi training, Trials of the Temple, they're running like 12 of those a day with maybe 30, 40, 35 kids in each. Um, and then, you know, all the parents have got to come see all this and take pictures. So you, you just assume, you know, each one of them's got two people with them. I mean, you got all of a sudden 100 people being entertained 12 times a day. That's a lot of people going through. And then the biggie of biggies, Fantasmic. The fact that that night show doesn't exist right now, it's not available. That allowed a lot of traffic to go in another corner of the park, freeing up attractions that guests might want to ride on and so forth, lowering those wait times. Do you see how all these things start... Um, start creating their own little challenges because they're not available to to guess. Um, so that is a part. By the way, I have a picture of the of the the pathway that leads to Fantasmic. It is filled with guests standing in line for Tower of Terror. And that brings us to attractions and shows. The Tower of Terror um, uh, I Went and visited, had a longer queue, can't remember the length yesterday, but today, as I stepped forward, I wanted to see just because these stated times seem kind of long to me, even though there are these big, long lines. So I went and visited the uh, Tower of Terror, and it stated that it had a 35-minute wait. I got in line. Let me tell you, it was, the weather is starting to change, but this day was still really hot, and it was blistering hot until we got up into the path of the, the hotel where the shade was. Um, I was one minute, I was around, I was practically at the corner where you turn in to go into the building. Now, how long is, when does the queue length end? I think of it like the Haunted Mansion. If it says that it's a 30 minute wait to the Haunted Mansion, then I think that's, that the moment I step into the mansion is when that wait ends, even though it's still several minutes later before I'm on a on a ride vehicle. I see the Tower of Terror the same way, even though the libraries aren't working right now. They're just having you step through it all. But I see that as be, the attraction beginning when you step into the tower. Certainly the air conditioning begins at that hour. And maybe that's the most important thing of the attraction on days that are pretty hot. At any rate, about 20 minutes before I was about ready to go in, and the line stopped. An announcement came out saying, sorry for the delay, folks. We are cleaning the ride vehicles. Usually about eight in operation, more or less, when they're running the attraction. 
and we spent seven or eight minutes, uh, eight or nine minutes in queue. And by the time I got stepped into the tower, it was now 30 minutes. They said it was 35. It ended up being 30. Would have been practically 20 or 21 minutes if they hadn't done the cleaning. You could see that one of the reasons why they give a very large wait time is because they have these periodic, I think once an hour, maybe once half an hour, depending on the attraction, but they have these cleanings and it does stop everything. And I know they move quickly, but it does stop everything. So that's a, that's a challenge. I, by the way, I have another image of the extended queue Again, every six feet, you can see people are doing what they're supposed to. It's all in front of Rock and Roller Coaster. But I can tell you, that just looking at the whole crowd, it's a hot mess. Um, and yet, turn the corner from Rock and Roller Coaster, and you see no one, practically, except for one small family, if you look, one small family lined up to see Lightning McQueen's Racing Academy. Now... I know what you're saying. Well, uh, Rock and Roller Coaster is a whole lot better than Lightning McQueen's Racing Academy, and I couldn't agree more. However, again, going back to my guide about going through the parks, the afternoons are for eating, for shopping, and for going on attractions like Lightning McQueen's or One Man's Dream or Frozen, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. You do not want to be out in the heat or in the elements or in the rain or whatever it may be. Do that early in the morning. Do it at the very end of the day. Don't do it at that time. And and uh, and so here's here's an attraction, Lightning McQueen's. It has its challenges too because it has to obey COVID, um, just social distancing rules. But no way to get on Lightning McQueen other than standing around waiting for the next show to begin. Meanwhile, um, we go further on down to Slinky Dog Dash. Again, a testament to do not do this at the beginning of the day. Talk about where your VIP tours are going to end up. They're going to go one and go. It's a, it's a signature looking attraction. It's not a long attraction, but those VIP groups and others are going to go in front of you. And that standby line is not going to go as as quickly so it's 80 minutes i didn't try it today i probably would say it's closer to 55 to 60 minutes but still that's a long time for that coaster get do it early in the day do it later meanwhile across the way from that queue is toy story mania which when i took the picture today was 30 minutes but when i went by it yesterday it was 15 minutes 15 minutes means 10 30 means 20. Um, unless, unless you got this moment where you got to stop and clean everything, but this is a great attraction and it's the queues indoor and air conditioned. That's the attraction I'm going to do in the afternoon. Not the one where I have to stand out in the sun. I did do alien swirling saucers, which listed a 15 minute queue. Okay. Let's see what this looks like. Walked in on it. Just walked on the ride. There was no wait other than standing at your dot waiting for the next ride vehicle to occur. There was no waiting in line at 15 minutes listed there. So um, you're starting to see a theme appear here, right? Um, headed through Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I think the same thing occurs on Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. I didn't include a photo in this situation, but generally speaking, every time I have been on that attraction, it has always ended up being a, sh a much shorter wait. It's always been a shorter wait because Disney's always had this opinion that you tell them a longer wait time and then if you come in five minutes under or whatever, they'll think, hey, we got great value. We didn't have to wait as long. But now they seem to be projecting those wait times even longer because of the cleanings, because of all the other crazy things, because maybe they don't have enough maintenance. If it goes down. I don't know what it is, but they're projecting longer wait times. And I can tell you those wait times are, so if I see a 75 minute wait time, I don't know, what would I say? I saw a 45 minute wait time this afternoon, I believe, on Star Wars Galaxy, uh, Smuggler's Run, on Smuggler's Run. 
I can assure you that's going to be probably a 30 to 35 minute wait. Um, I just think that you want to just carve a little bit of time and not be so hesitant. But then again, I would be going on that traction at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, not in the middle of the day. I'd be going on alien swirling saucers. I would be going to One Man's Dream, to Lightning McQueen's Racing Academy. There's so much to do in the middle of the day. Go eat, go do anything, but don't wait in a long line. Don't wait in a long line. Let me also, I do show a picture of the extended queue, the exterior portion of the queue for Rise of the Resistance. Now, one of the things that's creating a longer wait lines is because this one doesn't have one. They're using the virtual boarding pass as a fast pass to come back. And while there is a wait in line, it might be 10 or 15 minutes even. Um, even though there is sometimes a wait in line, let's, let's be really clear about this. This most of the queue sits empty and that queue is probably designed for at least two hours of waiting. And so because we don't have guests waiting in that line right now, because we're using the virtual boarding pass, that's pushing more people into a longer line elsewhere. Went to Star Tours. Star Tours listed a 25 minute wait. What do you think the return was? I was at boarding at 10 minutes. So again, a lot of these times are exaggerated. Now, I see Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Again, another hot mess, literally hot mess, with the queues lined up. I show you the pictures. You could see the front of the entrance, and you can see that there's one party for Fast Pass while another in the, in the standard uh, waiting line. There are too many people going in the middle of the day into the fast pass line and that is slowing down. Now if it says 75 minutes on Runaway Railway, I still think that it's probably going to be closer to 60 or 65 uh, minutes at least, but I've heard even shorter times. So that said and done, 50 minutes or 60 minutes in that which is largely in that outdoor queue and they've done a great job of getting fans and umbrellas and doing the best they can but it's hot out there on certain days or it could be rainy do this thing at the beginning of the day for heaven's sake if nothing else do it at the last do it as the last thing you get in line for at the end of the day if that park is closing at six get in line at at 558 because here's what's going to happen that line, which will still probably be listed as 60 or 75 minutes, is not going to have the competition of fast passes coming in after six o'clock. Nobody can come in after that time into the fast pass queue. And so your, your line, you're gonna see how a line hustles and moves. Pretty good considering the train still has to um, account for COVID and social distancing. By the way, big shows that are not available in the park right now, which again reduces capacity. Indiana Jones, Epic, Stunt, Spectacular. That theater is at least 2,000 people. That the amount of, and, and that doesn't include those might be waiting in a queue to go to the next show um, while the first show is going on. So that takes up a ton of people. Voyage of the Little Mermaid, um, Star Wars Launch Bay Theater, it's a little thing, but it all adds up after a while when you're missing um, these things. Beauty and the Beast, live on stage, again, another fairly big um, theater for guests. And the result is because, well, uh, as we know, the Disney Society Orchestra and Friends um, has gone away and this that group has been laid off and it's all been a bummer truth be told when i was there visiting there were not a lot of people in the theater watching but then again with social distancing they couldn't allow a lot of people in the theater watching so it was a kind of a mix i'll give you an example of this 
Frozen opened up this week. I was there on opening day. I have a picture of guests queuing for that theatrical attraction, standing or sitting on a dot, all socially distanced. Um, I also have another image and you look at the theater and you can tell that this theater, which um, is, as I recall, it's 12, uh, 1,250 seats in it. I don't think there were 250 seats filled. In fact, I would dare say that there were at, um, not much more than 200 in that room filled at best. I did count about 180 people waiting in line. I'm sure there were more people who added, but not more than 20, 30. And uh, here is this empty theater, but it's air conditioned. It's a great place to be in the middle of the afternoon. They are running shows every hour. What about the show? Well, the show, they have done their best um, to keep the show up and they did a great job. I could tell that the show's different. The dynamic of having, and they have been blessed with full crowds for some time now. In fact, you know, I was there on opening day when that show appeared back on the New York um, or International Streets and that uh, Streets of America Theater is what it was called, I can't remember. But uh, I've seen this show and I and it remind, yesterday reminded me of that first show. It was good, it was a winner, but you could still see they were trying to get their their cue. It was still kind of rough because they're having to try to get an audience to to laugh and enjoy, and and it just wasn't quite the same as when that theater is maxed out and nobody has to wear a face covering. It's just really hard. I happen to be on the third row. Um, remember the first row is saved for guests with uh, mobility challenges. Then there's the second row that was cleared off and I was dead center in the middle row, probably 15 to 20 feet away from the cast members when they were downstage center. Uh, I, I kinda, I could see their anxiety because I could see a guest set of guests sitting where um, guests with mobility challenges, I think they had a stroller or something. And they were eating popcorn and drinks and didn't have a mask on. And by the way, they'll make occasional, they'll try to make jokes with the masks and the social distancing thing, but it's not quite there. But they're trying to work that into, into the script to remind you, you got to wear a mask during this show. So, ah, gee, you know, you could see that. And I was kind of really bothered that these guests were not wearing their mask when they really, the announcement says, please no eating in the theater either. Um, finally, they stop, but then I realize, gosh, you know, these cast members don't have any masks, and I'm three rows back, about 12. You know, I just all of a sudden felt a little uncertain. I'm not sure that they shouldn't pull back maybe the first three rows, um, but again, there's so limited capacity already in that show. Otherwise, what a great show. What a great thing to see while you're at Disney's Hollywood Studios, as always. Here's the long and short. We've gone through character meet and greets and food and beverage and restaurants and entertainment and attractions. You can see how limited the capacity is. It really, they're not able to do much more than, than uh, a third or a fourth of what they have been able to do for, in terms of moving people through the attractions. So, They've got to be very mindful. The people they bring into the parks, they've got to increase. They know they got to increase capacity because, but they've got to have an interest in increasing attendance. They've got to have more people staying at Disney resorts and they've got to have more people showing up wanting to buy a ticket because that's going to give them the money to go bring back, um, go bring back the other shows like Indiana Jones or Beauty and the Beast. And it's going to give them the money to open up some of these restaurants or stores that still are standing unopened. That's what's missing here. And it's a, it's a delicate balance. Um, people might look at some of these long lines and think, ah, oh, Disney's just trying to make a buck and they're just the, and, and the governor of Florida has given them 
pretty carte blanche to do what they want, but they have not taken advantage of that. They are trying to very carefully figure out how to, to increase the number of people adding to the bottom line while not having to um, overdo um, the bottom line of their budget. So it, it's just a hard place, all the while having to deal with COVID. So I hope that gives you some context and understanding about yeah the question, has Disney increased capacity? Yes, it has, but not by much. And it's a very complicated thing with many issues. One thing's for sure, they're not anywhere close to what their average day attendance, which is, uh, according to TEA, um, Themed Entertainment Association uh, records, they do about 11 plus million last year. You average that out 365 days a year and you get 31,500. There's not 31,000 in that. And that's not even park capacity, which is probably closer to 45,000. My guess is that they are somewhere at about 30% of the max um, or 30% of the average. Somewhere between the average and the max, they're probably at about 30% if they're lucky at that. Um, but you see, they have a long ways to go to create their maximum attendance. Well, hey, thank you for being with us on this Disney at Play podcast and post. Check out our post, check out our other podcasts that we have. Make sure you subscribe to these podcasts so you can um, have them downloaded when uh, you get a chance. And let's uh, join again. We got more podcasts, more posts, more stuff to talk about because so much is happening here at Walt Disney World and around the globe as we celebrate all things Disney. Again, thanks for joining us in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage. Always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. See you real soon.